Hello, Randy McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This week, we'll be featuring the CSIRO. Staff are being asked to vote on a new EBA, which reduces conditions and has salaries falling behind inflation. We follow that with calls for jobs in the green sector for Gippsland, as calls for the shutting of the troubled Hazelwood coal mine intensify. But first, some union news. That was CPSU members outside Minister for Immigration and Border Protection Peter Dutton's office last Friday. The Community and Public Sector Union, the CPSU, called a strike across services on Friday the 9th to make clear the government's offer of cuts to conditions and real wages is not acceptable. In Canberra, CPSU members were outside ACTU Liberal Senator Zed Cecilia's office on September the 9th. All right, so it is fantastic that you've made it out today, despite the rain, but you are obviously just the tip of the iceberg. We're here today because thousands upon thousands of public servants and CPSU members are taking strike action. We're taking strike action today to send a clear signal to Zed and the Turnbull government that this bargaining mess needs to be fixed, and it needs to be fixed now. We have got members taking strike action today in Medicare, Centrelink, Child Support, ATO, Defence, Agriculture, Prime Minister and Cabinet, Environment, the Bureau of Meteorology, the National Library, (laughs) CDPP, AAT, DPS, IP Australia and Immigration Border Protection. Whoa, it's just fantastic. And you're all here making the same stand. You are speaking with one voice with members across the whole country. We're here because this government launched an unprecedented attack on its own workforce in terms of a bargaining policy that has led to a three-year dispute. Three years, that is over a thousand days that we've been trying to bargain. We had this dispute for three years because the government has been serving up a complete lack of respect. It wrote a bargaining policy that said every single one of its workers should be going backwards. Every single one of its workers, it said, should accept a deal that stripped away allowances, that wound back conditions, that axed your rights at work for a crappy pay rise that didn't even keep pace with the cost of living. Their approach... It is an appalling approach to bargaining. And that's why we're here with a three-year dispute that can't be resolved unless they get to their senses and actually put a reasonable deal on the table, which they haven't done today. This government has not shown you any respect. What it has done, what it's offered you, is first of all job cuts. 18,500 jobs are being stripped out of the public service. jobs 
profits that are being cut, but it's also funding cuts and bumped up efficiency dividend that Zed and this government have put in place that have crippled your capacity to do the essential job that you need to do and do it well. That has crippled the services you provide. It is damaging the Australia that we live in. And then to rub salt in the wounds to have this pay offer that sends you all backwards is absolutely appalling. And it's not acceptable. And furthermore, that's why our members have said we will not accept it. We'll vote no to anything that sends us backwards. And we will take protected industrial action if that's what it takes to show this government that we are committed to a fair deal. There was a fascinating lack of reportage by the mainstream media about the strike during and after. There was interest before the event, and particularly with the announcement that the ABC staff, represented by the CPSU, would be striking for the first time in 10 years. This fact actually underscores the extreme nature of the attacks on conditions and wages being pushed by the coalition government as they soften the public service up, as some would say, for dissection. The CUB 55, the 55 skilled workers sacked by Sab Miller at the Carlton United Abbotsford plant 12 weeks ago and asked to reapply for their jobs at 65% of their pay, were joined by a large crowd in a rally throughout the streets of Melbourne on Thursday the 8th. Walking from AFL House near Etihad Stadium, through Docklands and up to Parliament House, Crowds of unionists and supporters called for a boycott of CUB products leading up to the AFL final on October the 1st. As the dispute enters its 12th week, the Tasmanian independent Senator Jackie Lambie was seen making it her business to go and speak to the picketers. You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin, produced at 3CR Melbourne and distributed by the Community Radio Network. Before the federal election, staff at CSIRO came out on the streets to protest staff cuts to the Climate Change Research Centre at Aspendale and indeed across CSIRO as the Turnbull government backed a new innovation and more entrepreneurial CSIRO. The public outcry and, dare we say, the near death at the polls has seen a change in the government's rhetoric. There is now a more pro-science minister, Minister Hunt, and the announcement of a new climate change centre for Hobart. But if you look a little closer, it may not be all beer and skittles as the CSIRO staff are being asked to agree to an EBA with cuts to conditions and real wages. And the staff cuts still as swinging as before. I spoke to Dr Michael Borgas, a union delegate, about what is going on. New Minister had a a new priority in a particular area and and added 15 um, staff to to try and deliver on that. Um, so that's against the backdrop of, of a net cut of still 30-odd people from what was originally a research program. And that's still a, a loss of loss of a lot of the science that was done because the 15 new positions are nominally for a fairly new activity. I think in the end everyone recognises that there are certain functions the government will do and, and a lot of those are particularly public goods in research that, that deal with things like the environment. Um, and that's been recognised now by our board and even the man- executives that previously drove through a more narrow focus sort of accept that 
you know, government has to deliver some of these things and the public wants them. Uh, and, that, and the outside world would realise, well, that's going to happen eventually anyway. You, know, you might stuff up and do all this damage temporarily, but uh, but it's just, uh, you know, a ridiculous proposition that that Australia would walk away from having capacity to to understand the environment it, it lives in and how we can develop and exist uh, on the planet in the long term. What's happening at Aspendale where you work, on the ground? Well, it's still up in the air. There are certain groups that now have a, you know, I guess a more secure future in, in principle, but none of the practical details have really been worked through. Uh, it's good to see a lot of people actually focusing and working together now and starting to plan for the future, but there's a lot of uncertainty still uh, about positions. Um, there are still a number of redundancies going through the system that are either being contested or or look to be mitigated in various ways, and that's to look to move people into new positions in the climate centre. But uh, but we are lacking leadership at the moment. Uh, the business unit director has announced he's no longer continuing on and going back to Canada, that's uh, Dr Ken Lee. Uh, we have uh, acting positions in a number of roles and, uh, and as I said, people are just starting to grapple with how to deal with the future now where everyone I think is really worried about excessive workloads and, uh, and how to do all of the things that, that are expected and required of us. But uh, there's a general perception from people that, that aren't being made redundant that their workloads are just going to be enormous and uh, the challenges of the future are really pretty unresolved. Well, uh, if we look at it practically speaking, there's supposed to be a vote later in September around the EBA conditions and there's been quite a lot of uh, undermining uh, according to the association. So job security, consultation, redundancy and redeployment, miscellaneous leave, annual performance agreement and an incredibly low pay rise per annum. Uh, How's that affecting morale at CSIRO? Well, it's certainly not a way to help morale. The morale is actually very low and uh, there are expectations of, of um, staff survey results to come out next month as well, um, which, which we would expect to show that and a serious concern about how the management engages with its own staff and, and deals with its own staff with a bit more respect and, and uh they are, it seeks to improve morale and, and make us a, you know, a high-performing, good place to work. So the current enterprise agreement proposals, uh, you know, which are more or less dictated by the government and the Australian Public Service Commission and, and Minister Michaelia Cash, uh, are not going to help in, in any single way to uh, allow the morale to improve and... Um, you know, and we're, we're going to campaign vigorously for a no vote, uh, at the least to, to just make sure that, that uh, we get a greater um, sense that we're being treated with respect. And, and that's certainly not how staff feel at the moment. So what you're saying is that it's not about negotiation, it's about you do this, put up or, or get out. Is that oh, the exact, feeling? Exactly. Very little of the negotiations, and I, you know, I have been involved directly in the negotiations for almost three years. Uh, I think we had a presentation yesterday from management 
came, we've had 36 in-face meetings and, and uh, you know, I think the general perception and the, certainly the indications of the whole time were that none of the agenda that was being pushed was really the preference of the management. A few minor issues, tidying up a little bit of, uh, of leave concerns, etc., etc., to make administrative improvements. But by and large, the, the whole entirety of the of the uh, uh, so-called negotiation has been complying with the uh, Australian Public Service bargaining position, which, by the way, you know we would argue is not necessarily what should bind CSIRO as an independent statutory authority and the. And the CEO has the capacity under its own act to set terms and conditions. Uh, it seeks, it chooses to comply with the Australian Public Service Commission simply to curry favour with um, yeah, with cabinet, effectively. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a sham negotiation. You know, we're sitting in the room with with uh, CSIRO management and HR, who aren't decision makers, and we you know we have very little capacity to influence. Uh, you know the real powers here, which are the Australian Public Service Commission and, uh, and uh, Senator Michaela Cash. Well, though we're talking about things like uh, only having people scientists having a one-year tenures and uh, people uh, one-year contracts and uh, uh, scientists increasingly having to do an awful lot of the administration work. I mean that, that that's actually quite uh, a difficult uh, practical issue for real science. Well, exactly, and it's not that's not a, a way to optimise the organisation. But that's because you know funding hasn't kept up with uh, needs, and and overwhelmingly uh, the the collective view of of the organisation that includes management and, and staff is to try and keep as many people working in science as possible, and that's led to often these abuses where where people start to take on more tasks, particularly administration. At the, uh, you know, it, not necessarily at the expense of doing science, because people end up working very long hours, and and the workloads become bigger, and you know, and that gets to a critical point too, where it can no longer be sustained. And you know, I suspect we're there at the moment, and that's again, I'd say simply because of of the funding hasn't kept up with uh, with being able to run the organisation well. I don't think there's a deliberate strategy to uh, to to say the organisation would be better if each scientist, you know, spend, you know, 30 hours a week doing administration and then spend another 30 doing uh, research and activities uh, or turning over people on a very short-term uh, cycle of, you know, one-unit contracts. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not sure where that's come from. It's certainly in direct conflict with our enterprise agreement where we've worked long and hard to get primarily the, the mode of employment being uh, indefinite employment now that again is something that the management might disagree with because they see they see a market of people out there that they can exploit quite easily because overall science and technical people we have more people than we have jobs in this country and uh, but it's an inefficiency to churn through people with a high turnover rate of staff um, and uh, you know, I'll just go back to you know. My original proposition of, you know, it's ideal for the organisation to try and use the best science to solve important practical problems. And, you know, the trade-off there is that that will take a long time because uh, you need to give people time enough to develop good new science and it needs to be 
able to be aligned gradually over time to important practical outcomes. And when you can do that, I think you get the best value uh, for the investment in CSIRO. Certainly, uh, administrative models where where you get rid of all support staff, force people, because you know the scientists will, will try and do a science as much as they can at, at night, at home, you know, on weekends, uh, and you can save money by administration, but you know you get to a point of diminishing returns there pretty quickly, and uh, and you know it's much better to try and organise science properly. I mean that's the whole point of CSIRO. That's why we call an organisation because we do try and uh, find that balance where we support our people, we give them time and resources, uh, tell them they have to do the best science, but you've got to make sure that it's delivering a solution in the practical world at the end of the day. So, so that uh, takes a lot of organisation and uh, it's simply not uh, done with, with sort of chest beating and, uh, and you know, churning through people looking for, for someone to perform a miracle. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories. If you were wandering down College Street in Melbourne on Tuesday morning this week, outside the Rialto, you would have been offered croissants with a little bit of green politics. The Rialto houses Engie, the French owner of the troubled Hazelwood Power Station, an open cut down in the Latrobe Valley. The same one that burnt toxic fumes across Gippsland for over 53 days two years ago because of the lack of proper safety equipment. An Environment Victoria spokesperson opens our report with Greens MP Alan Sandler finishing with a view to green transition in jobs for the Latrobe Valley. Uh, yeah, we're here outside uh, NG's offices uh, at the Rialto on Collins Street. NG is the owner of uh, Hayeswood Power Station, which is probably the dirtiest power station on the planet. NG is a French com- is a French company. It owns seventy percent of Hazelwood, so it's the largest single owner. Uh, the French government owns thirty three percent of NG. Uh, so if you do the maths, it works out that the French government owns twenty five percent of the world's dirtiest power station. Um, we're here today in solidarity with our friends in France who are also trying to combat climate change. Uh, we're helping them send a message to NG's head office in Paris where uh, there will be people protesting later today, French time, uh, to say that here in Victoria we think Hazelwood needs to be closed as well uh, and that's a message that the decision makers in Paris need to be hearing from us as well as from the French people. The campaign against Hazelwood has been going for a long time. It's been the dirtiest power station in the developed world for a very, very long time. Uh, and it's pretty clear that if you're trying to do something about climate change, you need to deal with the coal that's being burnt in power stations like Hazelwood. Uh, we've heard various rumours over the last few months that Hazelwood's close to closure. We know that the CEO in Paris has said uh, that they'll consider selling Hazelwood or maybe closing it uh, if we don't need the electricity. And it's a known fact that we don't need the electricity from Hazelwood. We have an oversupply in the Australian electricity market uh, and it makes sense to start closing the dirtiest power station you know, to deal with that oversupply, but also to start really tackling climate change. And, and that's what we need. You can't be taken seriously on climate change until you start dealing with the dirtiest power stations in the world. Well, Conservative forces uh, in the mainstream media have actually said, oh, we're going to have blackouts if they close Hazelwood. Well, that's not what the people who run the grid say. And they're, one of their main, main concerns is ensuring security of supply, and they're not worried about taking power stations out of the grid. G'day, can you tell me why you're here today? I'm from 3CR. I'm here today because I am concerned about Hazelwood Power Station, which is the dirtiest power station in the world and owned 
by a French company, Engie. And Engie is considering closing Hazelwood down. So we are here today to draw attention to this and also to stand in solidarity with Friends of the Earth France who are holding a protest simultaneously. And we want Engie to shut down Hazelwood and clean up the mess. So we're handing out croissants. You're welcome to take this one after the interview concludes. And uh, also you're welcome to read the flyer on the plate. So you've come along here to this demonstration because you consider it important? Absolutely. Uh, it's vital that we get uh, movement very quickly on transitioning the coal-fired power stations in the Latrobe Valley out of operation and that we develop uh, renewable energy and other jobs in the valley as soon as possible. But the main thing is we've got to start talking about the closure of those power stations. So, Ellen Sandal, you're down here at uh, Rialto. Uh, can you tell me uh, about why this is such an important thing? We're here at the Engie offices in Melbourne, and Engie is one of the owners of Hazelwood, which is the dirtiest power station in the entire country. And so we're here to call on Engie to make the right decision to phase out Hazelwood, to close it, and to make sure that they support the workers in the community in that transition to clean energy. OK, tell me about uh, jobs. So there are a number of jobs at Hazelwood that we'll need to look at when it does close down. But the important thing to know is that Hazelwood is so polluting and also very damaging for the local community. The mine actually caught on fire two years ago, uh, causing an increase in deaths in the community. So, and we also do not need this power station anymore. There's more than enough energy in our grid. There's actually an oversupply. And so shutting Hazelwood is absolutely the right thing to do. But the company and also the Victorian government needs to have a plan for the workers to make sure that they can transition into other industries, in clean industries in particular, to make sure that they're not left behind in this revolution to the clean energy economy. Now, uh, the conservative media is still, uh, like the uh, Financial Review, still has articles saying that we're going to have blackouts. We're going to have blackouts if they close it. Uh, that's just absolutely incorrect. They're not actually looking at the energy market. They're obviously just pushing some kind of barrow, which is untrue, because there's actually a huge oversupply of energy in the entire Australian market, particularly in Victoria. We could actually close Hazelwood five times over without any energy supply issues, without any blackouts whatsoever. And then if we build even more renewable energy, that even adds more energy into the grid again. So we do not need Hazelwood let alone the fact that it's causing terrible health impacts and damaging our climate and our environment. So those who are peddling the myth that we need it are just trying to stay with the status quo of burning coal forever, which is, would just be a disaster for our planet and for humanity. What steps are being taken for uh, co-ops and other sort of jobs in the uh, revolution of green energy supply? Well, unfortunately, the Victorian government hasn't shown any leadership in transitioning away from coal towards new jobs. However, the community has shown leadership and actually stepped up to fill that gap. So there are a number of organisations working to create jobs in the valley. I've been down there many times to visit. There's great organisations like Gippsland Solar who are employing people, and particularly apprentices as well, more apprentices than the coal industry, to put solar panels on businesses and, and people's homes. There are co-ops being set up like Earthworker, which is a co-op um, designed to manufacture solar hot water systems in the valley to make sure that there's good jobs down there, but the workers also have some control over the industry that goes down there. 
there. And that's where we need to be moving. Those clean energy technologies, solar, solar hot water, wind, geothermal, battery technology, that's the future, not brown coal. Before we leave you today, just a reminder of an item we had on Stick Together a while ago about Glencore, the largest coal mining company in the world, and the closure of a mine in the Northern Territory, which raised the usual issues of massive job losses and corporate irresponsibility when it came to environmental cleanup. We also talked about how this huge multinational company's financial interests are global, how local community interests are less than nothing when their global business interests are being considered. This link between Australian jobs and multinational corporations cannot be stressed enough. The Turnbull government wants to sell to these same private interests one of the only ways the Australian community can track the interests and tax-dodging mechanisms being used by these companies. Listen. G'day, I'm Michael West. I'm a journalist uh, of 20 years standing. I worked at News Limited for eight years, Fairfax Media for another eight years. I'm a former stockbroker and now I'm an investigative journalist. I've broken a number of stories on some of the world's most egregious tax avoiders, Google, eBay, Glencore, BHP and Rio, all big pharma companies. I wouldn't have been able to do this were it not for access to public information. And you get access to public information through the ASIC database. Now this database isn't cheap. It's already the most expensive corporate information in the world. Public information is more accessible in Liberia, Madagascar, Oman, Yemen, Bolivia, Paraguay. The reason this is so important is because the government is just about to sell this database. A monopoly over public information that should be free, simply through the use of this database, through searching this database, over the past four years, we've been able to get the Senate inquiry into corporate tax avoidance going. In the case of Glencore, Australia's biggest coal company. It took me something like 200 company searches at 38 bucks a pop. Finally, we managed to figure out that on its billions of dollars in revenues and profits in Australia, it had paid virtually no tax. eBay, it's Australians selling Australian goods to other Australians. They deem that this business is actually a Swiss business based in Zurich, so they don't pay any income tax on that. News Limited, Rupert Murdoch's main company here, had siphoned out $4.5 billion in cash offshore. This information is hiding in plain sight. It's just a matter of accessing it. And if the government sells this thing, it's going to be incredibly hard. Please sign the Get Up petition. Please get in touch with your local MP and block this sale. That's it for today's Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Dr Michael Borges, Alan Sandler and members of the Picket Outside the Rialto for talking to us. Also Get Up and the CPSU Media. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.